0: Adultery, as we will see in today's installment of the Full Dig Podcast, is much more than just committing sexual sin outside the covenant of marriage. From the perspective of the rights of the neighbor, protection of one's life is appropriately followed by the protection of one's marriage. As the Sixth Commandment guards the life of your neighbor, so the Seventh Commandment guards the marriage of your neighbor. Join Pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as they continue their series on the Ten Commandments and another look at the Seventh Commandment, You Shall Not Commit Adultery. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Sexton, and with me is my friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. Kirk, how are you today? I'm well, and it is
1: A palindrome. Yes. Every day this week is a palindrome. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Well, we have some interesting business to take care of today. We're talking about the seventh commandment, that is, thou shall not commit adultery.
1: Kirk, did you know that uh, one of the early English translations of the Bible was called the Wicked Bible because they got this commandment wrong? No. Instead of saying thou shall not commit adultery, it was printed as thou shalt commit adultery. Oh, no. Yes.
0: That's a major typo.
1: Major typo. The, <laughs> the uh, printer was fined a great deal for that, as I recall. That's terrible. It is.
0: You know, I think this one commandment and maybe the last uh, one about murder, if you were to meet the man and woman on the street and you ask them to recite the Ten Commandments, I think this would be one or two that you'd hear.
1: You'd remember it. I mean, these are the things that uh, if they occur in a neighborhood. Uh, these are things that, that are disturbing. I mean, they, they are far-reaching in their implications.
0: Right. I think we, as Christians, think of this commandment as the most scandalous. And maybe we think it's the unforgivable sin.
1: And yet we have examples right in the New Testament where it was forgiven. Jesus was forgiving people that had committed adultery. And the apostle Paul was commenting on the fact that people in the city of Corinth, many of the early Christians had committed adultery and other sins, and yet they were forgiven by God. So there's a lot of hope even as we
0: delve into what's a tough topic. Well, Pastor Steve, I think, did a nice job of presenting this commandment to our congregation on Sunday. If you haven't had a chance to hear that, you can, you can visit our YouTube channel on uh, YouTube, and you can listen to that sermon in its entirety.
1: A really excellent sermon. I I would recommend that too. anybody who hasn't heard it.
0: I thought what was great about his sermon was he acknowledged the, you know, the fact that it has implications for the community and family and for children. It hurts other people. It does,
1: and and, uh, and I have had friends that were either um, involved in adultery in different ways. Uh, a spouse cheated on them or, or they fell. And it just it lingers, just the memory of that and hearing their stories and not the pain. Uh, so it's a really important topic for us to cover.
0: Well, and that's what Pastor Steve said. He says we're often left to believe that sexual sin is the worst kind of sin, And the one that is unpardonable, it is not how Jesus saw it, though. Exactly. I think we're going to look at that text first as we begin to examine this
1: commandment. So Steve mentioned this, Pastor Steve mentioned this in a sermon, The Woman Caught in Adultery, Mm -hmm. which is a passage that you find beginning at the very end of John chapter 7 and continuing in through verse 11 of John chapter 11. And uh, most people know the story, a woman uh, who was caught in the very act of adultery brought before Jesus. And uh, Jesus is asked, well, you know, the Old Testament says that we should stone her. So what do you say? Mm -hmm. And Jesus uh, says, let the first among you who has no sin cast the first stone. And everybody starts to leave one by one because obviously everybody has sinned. And then after that, Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And She said, sir, no one. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Uh, Really powerful. Uh, So Jesus uh, is saying that he's not there in her life to condemn her. That's not what he's about. And he wants her to know that, mm-hmm. and then says, Well, go, don't sin. Uh, really great grace and clarity at the same time. Now, the interesting thing about that story, and something that Pastor Steve was not able to uh, get into very much, but if you have a Bible, an English Bible, look at that passage, and you'll notice there's a footnote, and it will go something like this. This is how it reads in the New Revised Standard Version. It says, Most Ancient authorities, that means authority in this sense, uh, an ancient manuscript of the New Testament. Most of those ancient manuscripts lack verses uh, chapter 7, verse 35 through 8, chapter 11. It is most of the most ancient manuscripts of the Bible, when you open the Gospel of John, it doesn't have the story in it. Mm. And then it adds other authorities add, that means other ancient manuscripts, add the passage here, or after, chapter 7, verse 36, or after the very end of the Gospel of John, or they put in the middle of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 21 with variations of texts. And some mark the passage as doubtful. So when the United Bible Societies was putting together a printed version of the Greek New Testament, which is used to make translations into various languages around the world, uh, New Testament translations, What are we gonna do with this? So they got together and they said, well, it's clear in terms of vocabulary and and how it kind of floats into different places in the Gospel of John and some of these ancient um, copies, handwritten copies of the Gospel of John, that this wasn't written by John. And yet, they said it has all the earmarks of historical veracity. In other words, this really happened. This is a story that was carried on in oral tradition uh, by the early church. And when they put the New Testament together, they said, you know, this story is so important in terms of giving us clarity mm. about Jesus' view of the seventh commandment that we need to include it mm. somewhere. So let's, let's put the whole Bible together, but let's add this story mm. in addition because people really need to know it. A real story of Jesus really happened included in the New Testament by the early church because they said this is the word of God that we need to, to uh, listen to. Mm. And it's about grace. Right. Don't condemn people. Right. Don't sin. Encourage each other not to sin. Mm-hmm. But don't be in the uh, business of condemning. Mm. Uh, so it's really wonderful you think about, it. this is who Jesus is, and this is who we are supposed to be mm. as God's people. Uh, I had mentioned earlier, or maybe you mentioned it, Kirk, that you have other places in the New Testament that take that same view of things. Uh, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, we remember... First Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. And what is love give us all those great uh, lines about love is patient, love is kind. So that's in chapter 13 and chapter six of that same book of the New Testament. Paul writes, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, Solemite, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revelers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And then you can have this dramatic pause. And then the very next thing that Paul says is, and this is what some of you used to be, Mm -hmm. but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. In other words, yeah, we know those things were wrong, Mm -hmm. and we know that our friends have done some of these things. Mm But God has gotten a hold of us. God has forgiven us. Mm. And our lives are going to be about something else now. It's
0: it's a great hopeful way of approaching this commandment. I think Pastor Steve said, Jesus died on the cross for this sin and many others. Exactly. Mm. Well, Kirk, do you want to go into the text of the Seventh Commandment itself? Sure. So we had on Sunday, uh, Pastor Steve read the Exodus version, you shall not commit adultery. And then he shared the expansion of that. So Jesus kicks it up a notch. He does. Deuteronomy
1: kicks it up just just the slightest possible way. Instead of you shall not commit adultery, it it, uh, begins with the single Hebrew letter, which is uh, used for conjunctions, or and, and you shall not commit adultery. So it ties it with the previous prohibition against murder. Mm. You shall not murder, neither shall you commit adultery.
0: So that's the retelling of it. That's uh, Pastor Steve did not read that scripture. Yeah, interesting that it, it begins to expand just slightly, just bit, slightly. Yeah. And then Jesus
1: blows it out of the water. Right, right. Uh, w- why don't you read that for us? Sir? Sure,
0: that's uh, Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. And throw it away it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell
1: so a couple things we need to emphasize right away is that when jesus is saying throw out your eye cut off your hand he's not saying that we should actually do that he's saying that it should be so foreign to our thinking it should be so abhorrent to us that we wouldn't think about doing that hyperbole hyperbole uh i knew a young man who actually cut off his Right hand, and uh, trying to fulfill what Jesus, what he thought Jesus was saying here, and he had some behavioral health issues, some you know, mental health issues, and uh, Jesus is not trying to get any of us to you know, pluck out an eye or cut off a hand. Rather, mm-hmm. we should understand, um, we should be very serious about trying to keep all of what, of what God says. So that needs to be emphasized, and then it also needs to be emphasized, Jesus. Again, making the Ten Commandments harder because he's talking about not just our actions, but our intentions, our thoughts, things that we mull over in our mind. And Pastor Steve, I think, did a great job saying it's not a glance, it's when you start to plot and, and, and daydream and, and turn things over in your mind. Mm-hmm. That's, that's playing with fire mm-hmm. and playing with things that are destructive in our own spiritual lives and in our relationships with people we care about and who care about us. So uh, we've looked at some of these passages, uh, uh woman cut in adultery from the Gospel of John, and uh, that unique way probably wasn't really written by the uh, Gospel writer, but a true story of Jesus and included in um, the Word of God and part of God's Word. Uh, the prohibitions against adultery in Exodus and Deuteronomy, how Jesus expands that. I want to look at another way the Seventh Commandment is expanded, and this is in the curses and blessings that the children of Israel
0: are supposed to give when they enter the Promised Land, when they've settled there. So you teased this last week. This was part of our archaeology discussion, right?
1: Exactly, and we'll get into the archaeology in uh, just a bit, but I want to emphasize uh, what's going on. So remember that the generation that had come out of slavery in Egypt, they died in the wilderness because of uh, uh, things that they did wrong there. So it's their children that go into the promised land. Mm-hmm. And so they're giving this charge, the charge to remember the Ten Commandments, and that's why we have the second telling of them in the book of Deuteronomy. Then also some instructions about when you cross the Jordan, take some stones out of the Jordan, and then uh, when, once you finish settling in the land, Use those stones and build an altar and do it on Mount Ebal. And Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim are near um, uh, Shechem, uh, modern-day Nablus, in the um, Holy Land. And it said, uh, when you've done that, you're going to get half the tribes on one mountain, the other half on the other mountain, and you're going to hurl
0: curses and blessings. Mm-hmm. And, and and I you, think you said that last week, it was anti antiphonal, right? So there sort of echoing back this? Yes.
1: Antiphonal, yes. Antiphonal. That's antiphonal, what. exactly. So as they do that, we see in the commandment against murder that it gets expanded a little bit, but you get the commandment on adultery and it really gets expanded. And this is an indication of things that they began to see. It wasn't just adultery that had become a problem, but other things that they'd begun to see in terms of human relationships that were also problematic. So we'll. We'll do this like we're eballing uracine. Okay. Uh, so, uh,
0: Do you want me to do the curse, or do you want me to do the amen?
1: Uh, why don't you do, hurl the curse, and I will do, hurl the amen as we go through. This is how the commandment, do not commit adultery, was expanded fourfold.
0: Mm. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. Then all the people shall say Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual relations with any animal. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his mother in law. Then all the people shall say, Amen.
1: Now, that's a really
0: cringe worthy
1: list, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's an was example. Yeah, sure. if we go our own way in uh, the area of human relationships and, and uh, uh, in terms of uh, sexuality, things can get really messed up and and strange and hurtful and, and uh, very very quickly. This happened just a couple of generations after they were experienced all these wonderful miracles in getting out of Egypt.
0: Yeah, I think last week you mentioned that. It, it kind of highlights that this, or maybe it was in our staff meetings, this was actually going on. This is. Yeah, if it obvious. wasn't going on,
1: they wouldn't need to say, don't do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, an example really of brokenness, right? Uh, which emphasizes things that we all have known and, and experienced in our lives in terms of people we care about and in their brokenness. Uh, and some of that's in, in how that's worked out in. Uh, their sexual expression's really broken. So the archaeology of Mount Ebal and Gerizim. So these are real places. Uh, some of our listeners may remember the woman at the well and the conversation that uh, uh, Jesus has with her. Mm-hmm. And They began talking about Mount Gerizim and say the Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim. So we actually have the Samaritan Temple, that's been excavated. The Samaritans still worship on Mount Gerizim, and there's a big uh, ceremony that happens there uh, every year during uh, the Samaritan Passover. Hmm. Uh, But we've excavated that site, and there's a a temple that was built there in the 5th century B.C., so during the Persian period. If you remember the Old Testament story, uh, there was the Babylonian captivity, and the Jews came back from the Babylonian captivity. And the... uh, 6th century B.C. and then into the 5th century B.C., where you have Ezra and Nehemiah as leaders of the people. And the Samaritans uh, were told that they can't uh, worship there in the temple in Jerusalem, so they built their own temple mm. on Mount Gerizim. So there's a series of uh, temples, actually, they built up and then they were destroyed and built up and then destroyed. But it's interesting that that's still there.
0: That was... Oh. The kind of worship there was, I guess, to describe it as synchronistic, is that? Yes, mixing uh,
1: elements of uh, the worship of the one true God Mm -hmm. that came out of Judaism combined with some other practices, Mm -hmm. exactly.
0: And Jesus called in the question whether that was true worship at all.
1: Yeah, and what's really important is not where you worship God, but worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That's Mm. the main thing. Mm. And uh, that's the thing that's important to God. Now the commandment given by God through Moses to Joshua and the people he was leading was not to build a, a temple there on Mount Gerizim, but to build on Mount Ebal. And we have found a temple on Mount Ebal, not from the Persian period, but from earlier, from the Iron Age. So Iron Age begins Iron Age 1 is uh, 1200 to 1000 B.C., so in that period. So this is after the time of Joshua. Mm. Uh, but it's interesting, quite a large temple. And it has a uh, wall that surrounds it in the shape of a foot of all things. In fact, there's a series of structures that were built in the Iron Age 1 period and into Iron Age 2 that are in the shape of a foot. And there's a um, term for pilgrimage in Hebrew, which is ale la la rogel, which means to ascend or go up by foot. And so these, we think, are a series of pilgrimage sites. So pilgrimage sites to remember different uh, acts of God or God, uh, leading God's people and claiming the Holy Land. They Mm -hmm. would build these structures of different sizes. And the largest one is on Mount Ebal, surrounding this altar that's built there as a site. Of pilgrimage. So that's just an indication that uh, these are places that uh, live large in the minds and imaginations of God's people. Mm. Uh, In the book of Joshua uh, it says they camped at Gilgal and we think the Gilgal is meant to be not just one location but these uh, foot-shaped areas. They were going to conquer the land by foot Mm. and that's what's going on there. So neither of these temples, either from the Persian period or the uh, Iron Age one period, is old enough to really be connected with Joshua. But it um, is a, a kind of reminder of an older story that uh, happened in the Late Bronze Age when uh, Joshua uh, fought the Battle of Jericho and led the people in. And they gathered on Ebal and Gerasim to hurl curses and blessings. That these commandments of God and the Ten Commandments and other places are really, really important. Well, we've talked about uh, some of the main texts in the Bible about adultery. We've talked about, uh, just a reminder, we don't need to tell our audience stories about adultery. We all have our own stories that we carry Mm. with us. And uh, some of us, the pain that's associated with those kinds of things. But uh, we want to lift up what's in our... Uh, eco-essential tenets, and in our eco-confessional documents about the Seventh Commandment. So Kirk, you remember in the essential tenets of eco, we have uh, summary statements of the Ten Commandments at the very end that are introduced with the line, As a practice of discipline, of regular self-examination and confession, we are especially guided by the Ten Commandments. Therefore, we hold one another accountable too, and then goes through the Ten Commandments. And Mm -hmm. for the seventh commandment, it says, maintain chastity in thought and deed, being faithful within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman as established by God at the creation, or embracing a celibate life as established by Jesus in the new covenant. So in updated words, saying this is the direction we're headed. It's not saying that we are perfect in this area. Um, uh, Jesus' expansion, it uh, to say it's not just our deeds, but our thoughts. You know, we, if we, we all approach this with a sense of guilt, you might say. That's uh, one of the former presidents of Princeton Seminary says whenever we get into this area, everybody feels guilty, mm. uh, no matter what you've done or haven't done, no matter what you've thought or haven't thought. But it says uh, here in the essential tenets this is our direction we want to go. This is how we want to encourage one another to maintain chastity and thought and deed being faithful within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman as established by God at the creation, or embracing a celibate life as established by Jesus in the new covenant. So summarizing a lot of those basic texts on this commandment in Scripture.
0: We've also been looking each week into our confessional standards and the Heidelberg Catechism. Again, that is a question and answer format. Question 108 says, What does the seventh commandment teach us? And the answer is that all sexual immorality is condemned by God and that we should therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives, whether in holy wedlock or in single life.
1: We should take it all seriously. We should take it to heart and try to live it out. And then it falls up, Does God forbid nothing more than adultery and such gross sins in the commandment. And the answer there is, since both our body and soul are a temple of the Holy Spirit, it is his will that we keep both pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all sexual, sexually immoral, immoral actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may excite another person to them. So again, the life of the mind and the imagination as well as what we do.
0: Yeah, I think that has that neighborly connotation to protect my neighbor, too. Yeah, exactly.
1: And we've been looking at also the Westminster Standards that are contained in three documents, the Westminster Conf- uh, Confession, and then the Westminster Larger Catechism, written for adults, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question is asked, what are the duties required in the Seventh Commandment? The duties required in the Seventh Commandment are chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and others, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, modesty in apparel, Marriage by those that have not the gift of continence, conjugal love, and cohabitation. Diligent labor in all our callings. Shunning of all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations.
0: I looked up continence and I found self-control. Self-control. What did you... Yeah,
1: self-control. If, if you're incontinent, you do not have control over your bowel, so continence says control, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: The uh, question 39 says, what are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? The sins forbidden in the seventh commandment besides the neglect of the duties required are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications or exposure to them, wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages, allowing, tolerating, keeping of brothels and resorting to them, entangling vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, having more wives or husbands than one at a time, unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancing, theater plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanliness Either in ourselves or others. That's quite, quite a, a
1: list. Quite a list of brokenness, and you know things that uh, people still struggle with: uh, pornography, um, uh, brothels, you know, uh, prostitution, um, human trafficking—all all signs of human brokenness. Um,
0: well, and I think in our in our world today, we're we're not taking these things seriously. We're we're disregarding them or we're, we're, we're looking the other way maybe as Christians. I don't know. Um, but it's it seems like there's a proliferation of, of these things. Yeah,
1: so we who follow Christ that are trying to take the Ten Commandments seriously and trying to follow those things. Uh, we are out of step with a lot going on with our culture, but we're trying to be in step with God. Um, Again, not because we think that we're better than other people, but we really love God we really want to do what is good and right. And God doesn't want to see us broken, doesn't want to see us broken in our
0: relationships with others or our relationship with God. I'm trying to show a different way. Bruce, did you have any luck finding a C.S. Lewis quote this week?
1: Well, I, what I did is looked at Lewis's first major publication, professional publication, and this came out in 1936, and it's called The Allegory of Love, and it's all about the songs of the troubadours in the Middle Ages. Starting in the 11th century, there's this change in literature, the literature of Europe. Uh, Before that, uh, the great epics were about battle and courage and, and things like that, and beginning in the 11th century in France, they began talking about love, and that became... Elevated as a, a theme for songs and novels and stories and whatnot. The type of love that was lifted up as the epitome of love was adultery. Mm. Very, very strange. Not what you expect.
0: And what year was this?
1: So this, this is in 11th century AD. And Lewis comes out with this book in uh, 1936, which mm. is really interesting. Uh, Lewis, as a young man, had been involved in an adulterous relationship mrs Moore while she was still still married uh, she was quite a bit older than Lewis and uh, had a physical relationship and this was before Lewis had returned to faith in Christ. he was kind of you know living on his uh his own way, and yet deep down inside of him, he knew that there was a different way the old way of, of virtue and the importance of objective moral virtues he Uh, won an award as a young man for giving a lecture on the hegemony of moral value, that is how if we attend to the virtues, that teaches us how to become truly human. Hmm. And yet he was failing in that personally. And so he comes out with this great uh, academic book on the allegory of love and how focus on love that's corrupted. Uh, it was very strange and very odd and how it influenced Western culture in centuries after that. So he, he's thought this through. And I think this is one of the things that leads him back to crisis inconsistency in his own life. Uh, something that he stays academically, but it can't just be an academic pursuit. He wants to be a more virtuous person. And that puts him on the course to returning to faith in Christ. Hmm. So not a quote but a story that I think is significant in Lewis's life. Did you come up with a Reformed quote, a quote from our Reformation history that would help us understand the seventh commandment?
0: You know, in reading uh, Calvin on this, it sounds very much like what we read in the larger catechism. Hmm. And I wonder if the Westminster divines used his teaching, for this section, because it it really is very much in parallel with what you see in the in the larger catechism.
1: We do build upon those who have gone before us.
0: Well, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I mean, great Reformed teachers uh, should be looked at and studied, and and their words should be carrying weight when we're deciding on a confession like this. Uh, Calvin had. Um, Like he does on all these um, commandments, He he has much to say. He's kind of summing it up here. He says, lastly, let us consider who the lawgiver, as he is entitled to possess us entirely, requires integrity of body, soul, and spirit. Therefore, while he forbids fornication, he at the same time forbids us to lay snares for our neighbors chastity by lascivious attire obscene gestures and impure conversation you see the parallels to the larger catechism yeah
1: it's not just about our own keeping our own house in order but not being a stumbling block for other people in any way
0: well how should we pray today
1: well i think this is another great time to end with the prayer just for anybody that wants to be right with God in different ways. Why don't we do that again? Mm. Uh, I'll pray. Thank you. Pray, God, uh, uh, it's a tough topic to talk about, the uh, seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Because we all feel guilty in the area of our sexuality. So, Lord, we thank you that you're not somebody that's come into our life to condemn us. You've come into our lives to save us and set us on the right way. So, Lord, continue to guide us. And when we fall, help us to get back on the right path again with your help. And, Lord, if there's anyone tuned into this podcast that feels far from you, distant from you, we ask that you would welcome them back, welcome them home. And if this sounds like you, if you would like to come home to God, I would encourage you to pray silently the words of a simple prayer I'm about to pray now. Just repeat them in your own heart and mind as your prayer of faith to God now. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm sorry about the wrong things I've done. Forgive me. Come to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk.